times I wonder if it's not real. Just stories, myths, fairy tales. That it's just a book, a way to control the simple-minded. That only those who don't think would follow so blindly. That if there's no proof, there's no resurrection. But here's what I forget. There's more than one way to know something's true. Not because a book says it. Not because of a whim or misplaced trust. There's no physical evidence of love. How can I prove joy? I will never convince you that I was once blind, but now I see. Because I've seen the resurrection. I've seen it in a mother's comfort. I've heard it in my child's laughter. I've felt it in an embrace. I've tasted it when I enjoy a meal with friends. The resurrection isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's something that happens every time we choose family over work. Every time we choose to serve. Every time we sing that song or we tell that story. Or a life is transformed. That is why we gather. That is why we sing. That is resurrection. Today we celebrate the most significant event in the history of the world. A man who was clearly dead for three days rose back to life. Let me read you the account of it from Luke chapter 23. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, that was to kill Jesus. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate, this is after Jesus' crucifixion, after he was dead, and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, he wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women uh, who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments and on the Sabbath day they rested according to the command. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went back to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They were going to anoint his body, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And while they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, can you imagine, would you be frightened? 
The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But then Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Friend, friends, that event and this man's life are at the center of human history. There's been more paintings painted of Jesus Christ, more songs sung to him, more prayers prayed to him, more books written about him than anyone else in human history. In fact, uh, you've maybe heard me say it before, but we literally count time around his life. History revolves around Jesus Christ. And if it wasn't for the resurrection... That wouldn't be the case. The resurrection is the event that makes it all about Jesus. Amen? Now, you may hear what I just said, that Jesus rose from the dead, and you might be skeptical. Or maybe you believe it, but you just still have some doubts. So today, in just our short time together, I want to give a flyby of some of the evidence for the resurrection. Should we do that? Before I do that, let me pray, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna move fast through uh, some evidence for the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he did rise from the grave. Uh, Jesus, it is truly all about you. We praise you this morning uh, that you offer salvation and newness of life and resurrection to anyone then who would turn to you in faith and trust you. I pray against the enemy who would uh, desire us not to believe, but to be deceived. And instead, Holy Spirit, would you work in such a way that we would uh, be assured of our faith or even convinced maybe for the first time, Jesus, of who you are and what you accomplished on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, um, Let's get a definition on the table first as we get going, okay? Here's, here's what resurrection means. It means Jesus was dead and now he's come back to life. You're like, okay, I got that part, Josh. But this next part's important. Never to die again. Never to die again. See, for you to understand this a little more clearly, we gotta talk a little bit about what resurrection is not what we're not talking about in terms of resurrection. Resurrection is not revivification. It's not revivification. Do you know what I mean by that? In other words, where someone dies and they're revived, like on the operating room table, only to what? Die again someday. The resurrection is not, or, or like Lazarus, it's, it's not revivification. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, resurrection also does not mean that there's a second chance for salvation after death, as both reincarnation and purgatory wrongly purport. Reincarnation is the belief that the human soul migrates from one body to another through a succession of lives according to how you live your life. 
It's, it's not reincarnation. It's also not purgatory, uh, the, the wrongly trot uh, doctrine that somehow you, you die and you do enough good things that then uh, you make it to heaven and that you pay more for your sin after Jesus has paid it all. Hebrews 9.27 refutes both errors that just as it's appointed once for man to die, after that comes judgment. It's death and then judgment. It's not death and reincarnation or death and work off your sin in purgatory. It's death and then judgment. Resurrection also does not mean that everyone, believers and unbelievers alike, avoid punishment in the end. Universalism wrongly teaches that everyone is eventually saved and goes to heaven. Annihilationism wrongly teaches that at some point following death, unbelievers simply cease to exist rather than going to an eternal hell. Resurrection also does not mean life after death. See, there's lots of pagan religions that believe in life after death. Christianity is unique because it believes in a physical, bodily resurrection in the same way that our Savior Jesus rose from the grave. Amen? See, no other religion but Judaism and Christianity believed in a physical resurrection. Did you know that? All of the other pagan religion and philosophies of the ancient world denied resurrection, Homer, Plato, Cicero. And the myths that did purport a resurrection speak not of the resurrection of men, but of the resurrection of false gods. Christianity is unique in this claim. And Jesus, his resurrection is he died and he rose again to life, never to die again. Do you believe that? Let's look at some evidence. First, let's look at some biblical evidence for this truth. What's the biblical evidence for Jesus' resurrection? Well, uh, number one, Jesus' resurrection was prophesied in advance, roughly 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah promised that he would be born into humble circumstances, live a simple life, die a brutal death, and then rise to take away our sin. 700 years prior. And, and Isaiah makes, in the Old Testament, there's like 300 prophecies about Jesus. If you take just eight of them and have them fulfilled, one of them being the resurrection. Uh, do you know what the, the, the statistics are of that being true? It's like if you would take the state of Texas, which is about seven times the size of Indiana, cover it knee deep in silver dollars, and I marked one silver dollar with an X on it, and then flew you around in a helicopter and you get one, one stab to reach in the pile and pull out a silver dollar. If you pull out the one with an X marked on it, that's one in 10 to the 17th power. That is the statistics that's been calculated. Uh, it was either at like MIT or Harvard, someplace like that, that, of Jesus fulfilling simply eight of the prophecies prophesied about him, let alone the other 292 plus. Friends, it was prophesied in advance. Number two, Jesus predicted his own resurrection. Now, a lot of other people have predicted their own resurrection, haven't they? I don't see any of them walking around talking about it because it hasn't happened. But, but Jesus predicted it and it happened on numerous occasions. He plainly promised he would die and rise three days later. You have all the, a uh, handful of the texts there in your insert this morning. I'll read from John chapter two. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miracle, a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple. He's talking about his body. And in three days, what's he say? I will what? 
I will raise it up. They thought that he was talking about the physical temple. He was talking about his body. He was predicting his resurrection. Number three, here's the third evidence. And you might think, okay, this is a, this is a dumb one, Josh, but here it is. Number three, Jesus died. Like, wah, wah, what are you talking about? Jesus died. Well, before Jesus died, let, let's just think through this. He underwent a sleepless night of trials and beatings that left him exhausted. He was literally beaten to a pulp. Then he was scourged. I'll spare you all the gruesome details. A, a punishment so horrendous, though, that many men died before even making it to their crucifixion. To ensure that Jesus was dead then, he, he was crucified and a professional executioner of the Roman government declared him dead. And to assure that he was dead, a spear was thrust into his side and a mixture of blood and water poured out of his side because the spear likely burst his heart sack. Now, Here's what it says, uh, you can read about that in John 19. But Jesus' body was then wrapped in upwards of 100 pounds of linen and spices. But let's just back up. The, the, the Roman executioner uh, declared him dead, a professional executioner. He did this for a living, crucifying people. The thief, the thief on his right and the thief on his left were both uh, still alive and they had their legs broken. Because you die by a crucifixion, by asphyxiation. You're hanging there. And you can kind of push yourself up, but you, you suffocate. And so if you're not dying on time uh, so that the, the Roman soldiers can go home and get supper, they break your legs. So you go down and you, you finally die. Well, they came to Jesus. They, listen, they did this all the time and they never broke his legs. Why? Because the professional executioner declared him dead. I think they knew what they were talking about. Furthermore, then after he was taken down, his body was wrapped in upwards of 100 pounds of linen and spices, which even if he was able to somehow survive the beatings, the floggings, the crucifixion, a pierced heart that would have killed him by asphyxiation, all of these linens wrapped around him, he would have suffocated. And even through all this, if somehow Jesus survived and he didn't suffocate, how is a man who's been beaten in inches of his life get himself out of that? And then push away a ginormous stone and walk out. If he was just, you know, like Monty Python, mostly dead and came back to life. No, he, he, he was fully dead. He was dead. That's evidence for the resurrection. In summary, Jesus died. Number four, Jesus was buried in a tomb that was easy to find. 700 years before Jesus was even born in that prophecy from Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be assigned a grave with a rich man in his death. Well, this is entirely unlikely when you look at how poor Jesus was. He didn't have a home and yet he ends up being buried in an opulent grave of a rich man. And it was a grave that was easy to find. After his death, people clearly knew where it was. This guy, Joseph, he was on the council they knew where his grave was. Uh, the women went and found it. He was in, it was in a place that was easy to find. Had Jesus not truly risen from death, it would have been very easy to prove it by opening the tomb that everyone knew where it was at and presenting his dead body as evidence. How about number five? Jesus appeared physically, not just spiritually alive, three days after his death. Following Jesus' resurrection, many people touched his physical body. His disciples clung to his feet. Mary clung to him. Thomas the doubter put his hand into the open spear hole in his side. He appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, but they were uncertain if he had truly physically risen from death. 
Still, he was emphatic about it and he went the extra mile to prove it. He he told Thomas to touch him. He had breakfast with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. He appeared physically live furthermore over the course of 40 days to crowds as large as 500 people at a time. It's significant to note that there is no credible historical evidence from the period that exists to validate any alternative explanation for Jesus' resurrection other than his literal bodily resurrection. There is no evidence that he did not raise from the grave. Number six, Jesus' resurrection was recorded in scripture shortly after it occurred. Mark's gospel account leading up uh, uh, to the days of, of Jesus' crucifixion doesn't mention the high priest Caiaphas by name. Why? Because he assumed everybody who would read his account would know exactly who it was. Now, so his account would have been written within a very short period of time of this happening, meaning there would have been many, many people who could have refuted his account. Yet no one does. It was written shortly after it occurs. And Jesus, number seven, Jesus' resurrection was celebrated in the earliest church creeds. One of the earliest can be found in 1 Corinthians 15. In verses three and four, Paul says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This statement is widely accepted as one of the earliest church creeds, which began circulating uh, as early as 30 to 36 AD. In other words, right after Jesus' death. Jesus' resurrection, number eight, convinced his family to worship him as God. Now think about this. You have any brothers or sisters? I'm the oldest of four. Got three little brothers. Now, uh, your brothers and your sisters know what about you? The worst, or I should say the truth, right? (laughs) They do. Now, uh, if you had a brother who suddenly started claiming to be God, what would you do? You'd say, he is crazy. He's gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, man. Like, we got, what is wrong with him? And in fact, that's initially what happens. Jesus' brothers and his mother knock on the door of a place where he was teaching, and they're like, hey, Jesus, uh, this whole uh, religious church thing, like you've gone a little far, why don't you come home with us? And he says, oh, who are my brothers and my mother but those who worship the Lord with me and follow me, right? Yet... After his resurrection, what do they do? They begin worshiping him as God. Two of his brothers wrote books of the Bible, James and Jude. They, and they declare in those books, Jesus to be the almighty king, the Lord and savior. I'm sorry, but that doesn't happen. I don't see any of my little brothers declaring me to be God. One, because I'm not but especially anyone's brother, if that's not true. Another evidence, number nine, Jesus' resurrection was confirmed by his most bitter enemies like Paul. Do you know Paul was a devout Jewish Pharisee who routinely persecuted and killed Christians? And after an encounter though, with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was converted and he became the most dynamic defender and expander of the church. Had Jesus not truly risen from the grave, it's absurd to assume Paul would ever have worshiped him as God, particularly when Paul rightly believed that worshiping a false God would send someone into the eternal flames of hell. Simply, Paul hated Jesus. 
And he would have never changed his religious practice if he hadn't seen him alive on the way to Damascus. His most bitter enemies changed their tune. There's some biblical evidence. How about some circumstantial evidence? Uh, By the way, another uh, curious thing about Paul is he goes on then, and in pretty much every one of his letters that he writes in the New Testament, he mentions the resurrection of Jesus and declares it to be true. So how about some circumstantial evidence? Well, uh, things that happen have evidence, and Jesus' resurrection is no exception. And and I want to show you uh, a handful here quickly. Jesus' disciples, number one, were transformed. Here's some circumstantial evidence. Prior to the resurrection, his disciples were timid and fearful. They were even hiding when Jesus appeared to them. Peter, for example, (laughs) on the night of Jesus uh, being betrayed and going to his beating and his eventual death the next day, what what does Peter do? He denies Jesus three times. One of those to who? A little girl. Peter was scared of a little girl. Can you imagine? But what does he do not long after the resurrection? Peter ends up dying on the cross for the truth of who Jesus is. He allows himself to be crucified upside down. He said they were gonna crucify him. And he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Uh, Crucify me upside down. How do you go from being scared of of probably like an 11, 12-year-old girl to being willing to, to go through the most brutal death imaginable to man? Well, because the resurrection is true. That's how. Number two, Jesus' disciples remained loyal to Jesus as their victorious Messiah. Some of these are very similar, modern-day Messiahs. You know, we kind of all have some modern-day Messiahs. They might include, for example, politicians who propose to save and deliver us from a terrible fate, you know, like terrorism or poverty or uh, taxes. And supporters flock around their Messiah, don't they? in the hopes that he's gonna deliver on his promise or she will and make all of their wildest dreams come true. And then four years later, when they don't and can't, what do they do? See ya. They go on to the next one. Now, when they fail to deliver their promise, their followers either abandon both the cause and the Messiah or they retain the cause and abandon the Messiah to pursue a new Messiah a new savior. Either way, a failed Messiah is a forgotten Messiah. However, Jesus' disciples did not abandon their cause of forgiven sin and life with God or their devotion to Jesus as their victorious Messiah. In fact, their devotion both to their cause and to Jesus grew in numbers and in passion in terms of their devotion. They endured widespread persecution, even martyrdom, which would have been unthinkable had Jesus merely died and failed to rise as he promised he would. Another piece of circumstantial evidence, worship changed. Did you know up until the resurrection, uh, the church and uh, the Jewish people worshiped on Saturday? Yet after the resurrection, they abandoned over 2000 years of history and started doing what? Worshiping on Sunday the day that he rose. 
That's incredible. Number four, women discovered the empty tomb. Friends, this might be one of, in, in my opinion, one of the most convincing pieces of circumstantial evidence there is that women discovered the tomb. You're like, what's that have to do with anything? Well, in that day, uh, the testimony of a woman was not acceptable in court. It was not admissible. Women were, were uh, looked down upon. In fact, what happened when, in the passage we read earlier where the women come back from the tomb, what did the disciples think after they said, hey, the, the stone's been rolled away, he's gone. Uh, we saw these guys, bright and, and glorious angels, and they said he's alive. What did they say about it? Said they thought they were crazy and telling wives' tales until Peter went and saw it for himself. Now, if you're making up a story about the resurrection of your Messiah in that day, the first person to find the empty tomb is not going to be a woman, let alone a handful of women who are named. And ladies, that's not a knock on you in any way, shape or form. That's just the reality of the culture in that day, right? You, you wouldn't have done that. This is incredible evidence that the resurrection happened, that the first witnesses were women and that they didn't change the story. Number five, the entirety of the early church preaching was centered on the historical fact of Jesus' resurrection. If the empty tomb weren't widely accepted by Jesus' followers, the disciples would have reasoned with the skeptics of their day to defend the central issue. They would not have reasoned, excuse me, to defend the central issue of their faith. Number six, Jesus' tomb was not enshrined. Did you know that it was customary in Judaism for the tomb of a prophet or a holy man to be preserved or venerated as a shrine? This was so the bones of the prophet uh, lay in the tomb and imparted to the site its, its religious values. If the remains were not there, then the grave would lose its significance as a shrine. Of the four major world religions based on a founder as opposed to a system of ideas, only Christianity claims that the founder, that his tomb is empty. Judaism looks back to Abraham who died almost 4,000 years ago and still uh, cares for his grave as a holy site in Hebron. You can visit it. Thousands visit Buddha's tomb in India every year. Uh, the, the founder of Islam, Muhammad, died on June 8th, 632, and his tomb in Medina is visited by millions of people every year. Yet, uh, where is Jesus' tomb? We're not sure. Now, there's one spot that the Catholic Church has declared was the spot, and they built a big shrine on top of it and a big church, and it's... Uh, it's a little bit sickening sometimes if you get a chance to go there, but by God's grace, I've gotten to go there. And I even got to go into the tomb that they say was the tomb. And guess what's not there? Jesus' bones. He's alive. He's alive. Number seven, Christianity exploded on the earth. And a few billion people today claim to follow Jesus Christ. On the same day, in the same place, in the same way, two other men died, one on Jesus' left and one on his right. And despite all the similarities, we don't even know the names of these men. And billions of people do not worship them as God. Why? Because they remain dead. 
and Jesus rose from the grave. Friends, we could go on with more evidence for the resurrection, both biblical and circumstantial. And as you're here today, man, I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. But, but you're left with a choice. See, here is the deal. Remaining neutral on the resurrection, it's just simply not an option. Remaining neutral on who Jesus Christ is, there's no option for that. It's one or the other. No one, uh, read this quote to you, that no one can remain neutral regarding Jesus' resurrection. The claim is too staggering. The event is too earth-shaking. The implications are too significant and the matter is too serious. We must either receive it or reject it as truth for us and to remain indifferent or undecided is to reject it. And I have one question to leave ringing in your ears as you leave today. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Who do you say that he is? Was he just some uh, religious man who taught good things and told people to love one another? And if, if you think that that's all he was, just a good teacher, then how do you explain the fact that he commanded people to worship him or that he declared he was the only way of salvation and, and he called for people to pray to him? How can he be good and be deceptive like that at the same time? Or was he really God? I should say, is he truly God? See, there's no middle ground either. He was just a man who died and taught some stuff like the rest of us, or he is God. And you have to make a choice. And in fact, it's the choice of your lifetime. See, the Bible says this, that, that Jesus uh, has existed eternally as God, as a member of the Trinity. And uh, because we in our sin could never measure up to the standard God placed over us, we sinned and we've fallen short of his glory. Uh, God, Jesus put on flesh and became a man. Did you know Christianity is the only religion that teaches that God became man? Every other one seems to teach that man can become a God. And Jesus, God put on flesh, became fully human and lived the life that we were commanded to live but could never live and fail to live. And then he paid the penalty that you and I deserve, which is the wages of sin is death. Physical death and eternal death, paying the penalty for my sin. And this sounds harsh, I know, but it's true. Suffering under God's wrath for eternity. Like, how can a loving God do that? Well, uh, how can he be a loving God if he doesn't punish evil and wickedness? And Jesus uh, died the death he never should have died so that uh, he would then conquer death, rise from the grave on Easter 2,000 years ago and say, anyone who believes in me, even though he dies, yet he lives. Anyone who believes in me, who believes in their heart, Paul writes, that Jesus uh, died, was crucified, buried, and rose from the grave, believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth those truths, he will be saved. It's not about any good deed you do. It's all about the good deeds Jesus did for you. And he died in the cross in my place and in your place. And the only response is simply to trust him in faith. You'll never be good enough. You'll never make it on your own. Who do you say he is? 
if he's not God, I'm one of the biggest fools in the world. I've given my life to this. If he is though, and you ignore the evidence, you are. Who do you say he is? Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. Thanks that he did in fact rise from the grave, that he did live the life I could never live, that he paid the penalty for my sin on the cross and that he rose from the grave. Lord, I I pray for those who uh, maybe have have never believed that, that today might be the day they simply uh, turn to you in faith. If that's you, it's really simple. It's not get your life figured out and get everything cleaned up and then come to Jesus. It's um, recognize that your life isn't cleaned up and you are a mess and that you need Jesus. And you turn to him in faith and say, Jesus, I need a savior. I need you to rescue me. I believe that you're God. I believed you lived the life I couldn't, a sinless life, and that you died in my place on the cross and that you rose from the grave to save me. And I put my trust and my faith in you. If you do that, the Bible teaches very clearly that you will be saved. And just as Jesus was resurrected from the grave, so will you be one day to be with him forever. Father, we love you. We thank you for the glorious day of Jesus' resurrection. And we pray all of this through him. Amen.